So uh, a couple of Christmases ago, I did a series where we looked at the first Christmas carols. We looked at the Magnificat and the Benedictus, Nook Dimittis, etc. cetera. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to do something I've not yet done here. We're going to go all the way back, and this week and next, we're going to look at precursors to Christmas. We're going to look at the coming of John the Baptist or the message to that coming. Then we're going to look at the angelic announcement to Mary. So this week, God will make a way. Next week, Mary did you know? That will be our theme. And so this is the time of year, of course, we break out the Christmas movies and we start watching and, you know, you watch Christmas Vacation or you watch Elf or you watch Home Alone or whatever, Die Hard. Die, why is Die Hard? I don't get it. Die Hard's a Christmas movie. It's on all the time. It's weird. But anyway, I guess it was set at Christmas. But uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Everybody's seen It's a Wonderful Life, right? Yes. And if you haven't, well, get right with the Lord, okay? It's a Wonderful Life. Old George Bailey, you remember the scene there with It's a Wonderful Life. Poor George standing out in the snow with no coat there at the bridge in Bedford Falls. And George is thinking about ending it all. Life hadn't turned out the way old George had hoped. And now the building and loan was flat broke. And it seemed like he's in an impossible situation with no way out. We would say that old George was between a rock and a hard place. And when I think about that, I think about, you know, Christmas comes at a time of year that, yes, it's joyful, and yes, I believe it's the most wonderful time of the year, but without question, someone, somewhere, and likely some folks here even now are going to be up against an seemingly impossible situation with no obvious way out. Maybe this year that person is you, and maybe it's your family. And I would, he, I would remind us this week and next as we focus on the message of this season that this is a season of hope. Christmas is a message of hope. And we're going to see hope all over this story. And we read all the way back in history to the story of this angel Gabriel's visit to Zacharias. And we got to remember that while times change and while cultures change, God's character never changes. And so if he brought hope back then, God can bring hope right now. God can bring light into your darkness right now. And we see today a specific angelic visitation to the father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, is the forerunner, the Elijah figure who comes to introduce us to Christ. We see a pattern that as our Father is good and faithful, when we listen and we obey, we understand He is the God of the impossible. Let's read this story. It's much more text than I normally tackle in a single day, but we need to get the full narrative. So stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, it begins just with a, a greeting and opening. This is going to be an orderly account as Dr. Luke. Uh, was receiving this information about Christ. And in verse 5, he says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Some of your Bibles may say Zachariah. It's okay, it's just a variant spelling. His same name, same guy, different spellings. He was the, of the division of, now think about Elijah, and you'll be able to pronounce this name, Abijah. It's very easy once you understand how we would pronounce uh, those Judaic names or those Hebrew names. So Abijah was the priest over Zacharias' division, and Zacharias' wife was, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. I'll explain all of this. And so he goes into the temple of the Lord there in Jerusalem. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he said, well, look at you. Look how cute you are with your little wings and your halo. Um, No. You never see that. You see it in the children's Christmas pageants, bless their little hearts, on my little girls who played little angels. But you see what you always see, fear coming upon him. And so the angel is there, and Zacharias saw him, and he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn, and then there's a quote here now from Malachi, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute And not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach or my disgrace among people. Let's pray together. Lord, what a powerful story here of this angelic visitation, of this incredible message delivered And of a father who had probably prayed many decades. And now, in the fullness of time, at just the right moment, you answer. And even in the answer, he can't even believe it. And so you have to teach him a very valuable lesson. I pray today for every person that if they feel as though they're between a rock and a hard place, a seemingly impossible situation, show them, God, that you are still the father of miracles. You still bring light to darkness and life out of death. Even a dead womb can have life because you are the life giver. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Now let us hear and apply these truths we learn today in Jesus' name and for your glory. 
Amen. Thank you, guys. Be seated. So let me give you a couple of truths to unlocking hope in your life. The first thing I want you to see is this. God will make a way regardless of our age. So whether you're old this morning or you're young this morning or you just feel old or you feel young or you're somewhere in between, age is irrelevant to the Lord. There was this grand stigma in the days of Zacharias and Elizabeth of being childless. Some Jews at the time actually did not believe in a bodily resurrection. You heard about the Sadducees, right? They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in bodily resurrection. So the hope of immortality was really tied into children and lineage. And they believed the only way one could live on would be to have children. Also, children cared for their parents in old age, and the family's financial and social security and status was in children. Children were considered a blessing. Childlessness was seen as a curse. Now, Elizabeth even called her own childlessness a reproach, or the Greek word could be a a disgrace. She said, thank you, God, for taking away the disgrace, the reproach among people. And surely some may have thought that their lack of an heir was a result of sin. But Luke was quick to point out this is not the case. This is a righteous man and a good, good woman. They are both upright in the sight of God. They've observed the Lord's commandments. They have walked in the regulations of God, and they live blameless lives. So Luke 1.16 makes it clear. It wasn't because of sin that they were childless. You see, sometimes we look at a situation and we're quick to pass judgment. I looked at the drone footage of going over the destruction of the tornadoes and what just blew my mind. I was talking to Cindy last night about this. The fact that you'd have this this track of destruction, but houses over here and houses over there were untouched or seemingly untouched. Is it somehow that the people in the path were more sinful and those outside were less sinful? Is it somehow that God loves us here in East Tennessee because he spared us more than he loves folks in Missouri or in Kentucky or in other places? Well, of course not. That's craziness. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, that there'll be storms of life that will affect us regardless of who we are. And this was a real storm in the life of two good and godly people. Zacharias was trying to serve the Lord. It says that Elizabeth was in the line of Aaron. Aaron is what we get the start of the Levitical priesthood. And so let me try to unpack this just a little bit more for us. They're they're in deep disappointment having lived their lives without a child. And now they're well along in years. Different words are used for advanced age in the text. I'll explain in a little bit. But they're well along in years. Chances are in their culture they're humiliated and hopeless. And sometimes you may be at a point where you just think the ship has sailed. Your opportunity is past. You're just too old to do anything of worth. I would remind you of a guy named Abram who we now know as Abraham, a hundred years old when the child of promise comes. I'll remind you of a guy named Moses. Remember the stutterer Moses, meaning drawn of water? Moses didn't get cranked up and started good till he was 70. I would remind you there are many throughout the Bible. In fact, it's not just people, it's churches. Friends of ours came to visit from Dobson where we served in our first church as senior pastor there for 11 years. And I remember seminary buddies telling me when I went to a church that was 115 years old in a, in a rural county, which I loved because the deer hunt was great over there. I love that area. It's a beautiful area. Uh, pray for the folks around Pilot Mountain too. A lot of Pilot Mountain burned up the last few weeks. Listen, I, I had friends at seminary say, why? would you go to an older church? 
Why would you want to do that? Because God loves his people, whether the church is new or whether it's old. Because it's old doesn't make it bad, and because it's young doesn't make it good. You understand what I'm saying? That's true of music. That's true of churches. That's true of people. Young is not good and old is not bad, nor is old good and young bad. And so we, we saw God bring life and beauty and we saw growth and we saw uh, missional connection and we saw God moving because we expected God to move. So all of those cats that were like, well, oh, if you go to an older church and those guys that went to the shopping center with their skinny jeans and planted a church, most of them don't have a church today. <laughs> See, you think... Old is bad, new is good. No, listen to me. Grace is 105 years old this year. And did y'all hear just what I said a minute ago? On track for over 250 baptisms, on track for over 450 new members this year, man. God's not finished with us yet. God is just getting started. I, I, know, I know people like new things. The new restaurant opens and everybody wants to go to the new place. But I mark my words, the new stuff wears off where there's no truth in love. There's got to be a balance, a holy boldness. We'll come back to that in a moment. We'll talk a little more about that. But sometimes we think things are too old. Sometimes we think they're too young. Don't tell David. David stood before a giant. David brought him down in his youth. Don't tell Timothy. Paul said, let no one despise you for your youth. Old is not good or bad. Young is not good or bad. They're simply relative, and you're as old as you feel. Pastor Frank, you say, Pastor Frank, he comes in every morning. You say, Pastor Frank, how you doing today? What does Pastor Frank say every single day? Kev, what's he say? I'm old and decrepit. I said last night at our pastor's party, I said, how long, I asked Matt, our new pastor that's worked with Frank a long time. He just got here, by the way, from Texas. They just moved in this week, Pastor Matt. And I said, Pastor Matt, how long has Pastor Frank been saying he was old and decrepit? He said, at least 20 years. <laughs> so he's been old and decrepit a long time. But that's all right. We love Pastor Frank. I don't know why y'all love Pastor Frank so much. That's so weird to me. But anyway, you're probably scared of him or his cousin Vinny. So anyway, look, here's the thing. Old or not, you know, I thought I was too young. God began to call me into full-time vocational ministry before my 21st birthday. And I knew I was young and I knew I was dumb and I knew I had done a lot of stupid things and I hadn't prepared it took me till just before my 23rd birthday before I would fully surrender to full-time ministry. But my youth was just an excuse in my mind. But God wasn't scared of my youth. Because the reality is it's not a matter of how old or how young. God's calling some of you young people. You need to get ready and surrender or you will live miserably. Because for two years I was miserable running from the call of God. God's calling some of you older people, and you're going to be miserable just as much because God calls at different places, and God's calling Zacharias and Elizabeth to raise the forerunner of Christ. And there are all kinds of excuses, age and intelligence and money and fame and power and good looks, and there's all sorts of excuses. Moses duh, 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 said, I can't speak, and God said, don't worry about it. I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to speak for you, and I've got this guy Aaron that's going to come along with you. Don't worry about making your excuses. See, Zacharias didn't know it, but God had been Planning this all along. And what seemed like inexplicable silence for over four centuries, God was simply waiting till the fullness of time. And God uses this miraculous moment to make his move. Now, let me tell you why this is so cool and why this has to be a God story. Watch. 
As one of about 18,000 Jewish priests living in this day, Zechariah served at the temple of Jerusalem for two one-week periods per year. But that didn't mean he went in. That meant he served around it. Only one time in their service, if you were not the high priest, they would cast lots. And out of the 18,000 in your lifetime, only once could you be called up to go into the temple, not the Holy of Holies, but the holy place, and offer incense before the Lord. Now, what does incense represent? The prayers of the people of God. And so Zacharias had been chosen by Lot. Remember, the Lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. And so God tapped Zacharias. The one time in his life, I'll guarantee you, family and friends were out in full force. They were excited for a priest in the temple. This was the greatest day of his life. And so he was able to go at the perfect moment, and he was in the temple alone. And the messenger of God, the angelos, messenger, shows up. And when the messenger of God shows up, he gives a very important message of hope. Watch this. Watch. Verse 13. He says, first, do not be afraid. You meet a messenger of God in the Bible, you don't talk about their halo of tinsel and their cute cardboard wings. <laughs> you are terrified, like the shepherds in the field, like all of the angelic encounters, right? I don't know why we have angels as women or little girls. That's never the case in the Bible. We'll come back to that in a moment. But secondly, he says, do not be afraid. Look at this. God has heard your prayers. Your prayer is heard. And if you're here this morning... And you're in the George Bailey moment of life. You're standing at the bridge. Do not be afraid. If you're a Christian, now listen to me, this is important. If you're a Christian, God has heard your prayer. As long as you told him, God has heard your prayer. If you're not a Christian, God wants to hear a prayer of repentance and salvation that you would say, I need to come to you because he's a good, good father, but he may not yet be your father. So you need to cry out to God for salvation first and then your prayer of your heart. And at that moment, Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. He's shaken with fear, but, but he says, your prayer has been answered. Now, what is this prayer? I think at least two things would be considered reasonable for him to have been praying. Number one, certainly for a child. Especially in that culture of son. No offense, ladies, but this was the culture of the day. And so he was praying for a child. Secondly, he would have been praying as a priest in the temple for the Messiah. Roman oppression is growing. The Jews are being pushed down more and more and more. No doubt about it. Before the Romans would destroy the temple in 70 AD, here we are. And Zechariah would have been praying for a child and God's son, the Messiah, the hope. And you know what? God was going to give him both. In short order, God would answer his prayer. There would be a child in the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth. The Lord brought hope where there was none. Because even his name, Zacharias or Zechariah, means Yahweh remembers or the Lord has remembered. Every prayer that seemingly went unanswered, God remembered. Every moment when you feel like heaven is strangely silent, God remembers. That's the testimony of Zacharias. Don't give up on your miracle. God has not forgotten you, Christian. God remembers. But let me tell you this, because it happened in my own life and it continues to happen in my own life. Before God works on your problems, he wants to work on you. <laughs> Come on with that, Charito, me and you, girl. At least one person in the house of the Lord is listening today. 
But it's true, isn't it, sweetheart? It's very true, right? Before the Lord is going to work on the problem. See, I had a problem. I was an only child. My parents had two businesses. It was expected. You're going to play in your little music world for a few years, and then you're going to come, and you're going to take over the family businesses. And I had a problem. That was one father's will, but not the other father's will. Now, I didn't know it, but my earthly father's heart aligned with my heavenly father long before I knew. So I went to my earthly father with fear and trembling, scared to say, this is the call of God on my life. When he looked at me, he said, of course, we knew that. What have you been waiting for? (laughs) Of course we knew that. See, I had a problem. I had done things that put distance between me and my Lord. You won't hear me speak of those because you never glory in the sin. You glorify the Savior. But I did things that put distance between me and God. Many things. And I didn't know anything. I was a music major. I survived high school on Cliff's Notes. I'm sorry, teachers in high school. But I just did. I just, I just made it, you know. And school was pretty easy. Those things came pretty easy. But I didn't have a shred of theology behind my Sunday school class and felt boards. Y'all remember felt boards with David and Goliath and all that? That was the extent of my theological training. And so I knew absolutely nothing. I simply knew that God was calling. But God had to work on me, and he had to whisper into my heart. And then I had to hear, because a lot of times I don't hear well. No way, Minning, Cindy, I love you. So I had to hear God say, listen, son, I'm calling you, but it's not about you. It's never been about you. It'll never be about you. It's about me working in and through you. So why don't you quit making excuses? I'm going to do something that you cannot do and I'm going to do it for my glory. See, some of you are, you're making excuses. You're stammering and stuttering before the Lord, and you're saying, this is why I can't, and this is why I can't. God is not impressed with our excuses. Take time to remember he wants to work on, before he wants to work on your problem, he wants to work on you, and he wants to get your heart in alignment. God will make a way regardless of our age. You know this, God will make a way regardless of our understanding. I couldn't believe that the Lord would want to call me, but then I began to look through Scripture and I realized God struck a mean lick with a crooked stick. And I know I'm a crooked stick, and some of y'all are crooked sticks too, but God wants to use you. And you know, he, he sends Gabriel. Gabriel, it means mighty man of God, or it could be translated, God is my hero. Gabriel had shown up 500 years earlier in Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9. And do you know there are only two holy angels mentioned by name in all of Scripture? Who are they? There's Gabriel, and then there's the archangel. Good, Michael. Two dudes' names, by the way. I'm not sure that angels are gender-specific. I'm just telling you they have been manifested in the Scripture where they are named as men. So don't go home and trash all your lady angels. I'm simply saying that's what the Bible teaches. Angels are mentioned 23 times in the Gospel of Luke. And how gracious that the first words from heaven after centuries of silence were these words, Fear not. That's what God says through Gabriel because the message, remember, comes to him even before Mary. There is no recorded revelation of God for over 400 years. Do you know that? From Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament, there are over 400 years of silence. 
No revelation from the Lord. And yet when the priest of God, tapped by God on the perfect day at the perfect moment, though by all human account looked like he couldn't do it, when that man walked into the presence of God in the temple of God and begins to offer prayers to God, the Lord's messenger comes and he says, Zacharias, don't be afraid. God has been listening. Your prayers are heard. They will be answered. He gives at least four key components to his response to John. Gabriel, one, Elizabeth was to bear a son. Two, they were to name him John. Three, he would have the spirit and power of Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet. And four, this John, who now we call John the Baptist, was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so he gives Zacharias the answer to his prayer for the child in great detail. He says, this John will be great according to the Lord. He will be empowered by the Spirit of God even in the womb. Y'all, we'll see that. We're going to see that next week. Well, well, it's actually beyond our text. But you know the account where the baby John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth at about six months to the baby Jesus who's just been conceived of the Holy Spirit and Mary. We see that the power of God and the Spirit of God was on John the apostle from the very beginning. And John's ministry would be a fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy concerning Elijah. You know, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to know that there are Jewish people all over the world that as they celebrate the Passover, they set an extra table setting for Elijah. And if you understand the Passover Seder, the order of worship, we're going to try to do one this coming year for, for, uh, for grace. If you understand what happens is at the end of the meal, the children get up from the table and they run to the door and they open and they look to see, has Elijah come? Is he on his way? And I want to say to our Jewish friends, Elijah has come. The Bible is clear. In the person and the power of John, the baptizer, Elijah came before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because good Jews understand that Elijah must precede Messiah. But just like Malachi says, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And listen, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He'll turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's how the Old Testament concludes, y'all. And then we pick up with this story. And the angel says, look, This son, John, he is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and likewise, children to the fathers. There are a lot of interpretations of that. Let me tell you the simplest and the one I hold. The children of Israel had been rejecting the Lord. But remember, the first to be saved, the first to come to Christ were those very Jewish people. And so many of those early Jews would turn. They would turn. They, the, the children of God would turn to the heart of their father. And they would trust in the chosen one of God, the Messiah, Jesus. Because God will make a way regardless of our understanding. You see, he didn't come the way they expected. Jesus did not come riding as conquering king on the white stallion. He came as a lowly servant on the donkey. And they didn't get that. But he was freeing them from something so much more powerful than Roman oppression, but from sin and from Satan. 
You know, I'm in my 23rd year. I'm about to conclude this month, my 23rd year of reading a copy of God's Word cover to cover. This year, someone had gifted me the Tony Evans Study Bible. It's been a huge blessing. I've loved the notes. I love the QR codes and the devotions and hearing Dr. Evans preach. And this year, we've developed a brand new Bible reading calendar. This past year, it was Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And these guys remember every year in our church, we hand out a new reading calendar. This one's brand new. We just got them off the printer. I would encourage you to join me. Now, you could do Old Testament or New Testament or parts and pieces. I'm going to do the whole Bible again because I need it. Every year I read, I learn something. There's so much I don't understand about the Lord. There's so much I'm just discovering. I could have read it a hundred times, but because my life is changing and I hope I'm maturing in my faith, I'm learning. And so these are free. They're available for you today. Pick them up. Pick them up for friends and family. We've printed a lot of them. We'd love you to have one. But you know what? I've discovered in 10 years of seminary and two advanced degrees that I am stupid when it comes to the Lord. And I have discovered that God is so much greater than I can wrap my finite brain around. And you know what else I've discovered? I'm okay with that. I am good with a big God. I am good with a God where these children can come and express faith in Jesus and learn their entire life long, and then they cross over and they see him face to face, and they have all eternity to discover about their God. Now, do you really want a God so small that your piddly little brain can figure him out? Do you want a God that you can fit in a fishbowl, and you can pick him up and turn him around and look at him and understand what he's doing in your life, much less in the world? Do you want a God that small? I submit to you, no. I I want a big God. I want a God that's up to stuff that I can't even fathom or comprehend. God is bigger and greater than me and you and all of our collective minds put together. God is greater than Google. You can put that in your pipe and smoke it. He knows more. See, last week, do y'all know what happened last week? The world shut down when Amazon went out for a few hours. Did y'all know that? The world collapsed when Amazon went out. Well, you know what? God is greater than Amazon. He is bigger and better and stronger and smarter. And I know you lose electricity. Some of y'all yesterday, you know, some of our family called and said, we don't have any electricity. But when you know Jesus, you never, ever lose your power, right? And so we're content and contingent with, upon all of these things in our life, upon our electricity and upon our internet and our phones. Lord, help if you leave home without your telephone. You can't even function. You're just walking around all day. You can't even function. But God is greater than all of that. But I'd ask you a couple of questions. Are you content with a God so great and so grand that you cannot fully understand? Now, that's a serious question, guys. Are you content with a God so great and grand you can't fully understand? If you could figure God out, that God would be too small. I don't care how smart you think you are. And I love this question. Are you learning to trust God's wisdom even when you don't understand God's ways? That's a good question, y'all. Are you going to understand the wisdom of God? Are you, are you going to trust in that even if you can't fully understand what God's doing? I was with my buddy Tim. It was about four years ago. It might have been closer to five years ago now that I've reflected on it. But I was with one of my former deacons in Florida, and he had invited me and little Bobby out to fish with him. And we were going to the intercoastal waterway. We stopped at a bait shop. We got some fresh shrimp. We were going to use shrimp. We were going to catch some trout and whatever else was biting that day. We went out in Tim's boat. We were having a ball. We started catching fish. And all of a sudden, Tim reared back, and he slung one. And that old shrimp was going through the air on his hook. And all of a sudden, a seagull said, mmm, that looks tasty. And a seagull went, 
clamp, and the hook went right up through its beak. And y'all, I'm telling you, my buddy Tim had a seagull kite. He was holding on. And that seagull was squawking and making the awfulest racket. Of course, Bobby and I were looking like, man, that's the wildest thing I've ever seen. And he, we had a couple of choices. My buddy Tim, by the way, we love Miss Julie. Tim went home to be with Jesus this past year. Uh, he had a glioblastoma as a young man of his 50s. Great brother in Christ, loved Jesus. And he loved to laugh and cut up. He was one of our percussionists. And Tim started laughing. He said, well, I could cut the line, and then we hoped the hook would rust out, and we'd hope the bird would be okay, but you never know. So you know what old Tim did? <laughs> he began to reel down. <laughs> and that bird was coming toward the boat, and I'm looking at Bobby, and he's looking at me like, I ain't messing with that thing. And Tim, that bird was trying everything to get off the line, but it was too late. He was hooked, man. And Tim brought that animal down into his boat, and I watched him very gently. He tucked that bird under his arm, and he said, hand me the pliers. And Tim got to the barb of that hook, and he snipped it, and he began to pull it out. And then you know what he did, right? He cut the bird's head off, and we ate it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just wanted to make sure y'all were listening. No, 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 no. <laughs> Be a funnier end to the story. No, what did he do? What did he do? That bird, the whole time, snipping at him, trying to take off his fingers, mad. What did he do? He let it go. And that seagull soared off. And I listen, he did not mess with our shrimp anymore, that fishing trip. <laughs> but we're the same way. We get hooked into something we ought not to have been messing with. And our father begins to say, now hold still. I need to get you out of this mess. Just hold on. And you know what we do. Ah! And we squawk. And we fight. And we think we know best because we... Don't understand when the Lord is saying, just be still, my child. Come here. Just come here. I know it didn't feel good to that bird. That bird didn't want to be held. That bird didn't want to have his hands near his beak. But in order to be freed, you have got to trust the one who is out to help you. Y'all following me? In order to be freed, you need to be still. You need to quit squawking and squirming, and you need to believe that when you are full of hooks, that God intends for your freedom and your good. And most of the time, let's be honest, most of the time we find our mouth full of hooks because we've been chomping where we ought not to. Most of the time we realize, you know, I brought this on myself, and bless God, I'll get myself out of it. That is not the way this works. You've got to learn to trust God's wisdom because that seagull didn't understand my buddy's Tim effort. My buddy Tim was not there to frighten her, but to free her. And God says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Now let me release you. See, the Jewish people didn't understand what was about to happen right in front of their eyes. They had their visitation, but they did not know. Their Redeemer, their Messiah was right there, but many of them would turn away and reject him. But John came in the power and in the spirit of Elijah. You say, what does that mean, he's in the power and spirit of Elijah? Remember, Elijah was the guy who was preaching repentance to Israel. He said to the people of God, how long will you wa waffle or waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. You remember that, Mount Carmel. 
when God consumed the offering there and then the prophets of Baal were killed. John's preaching likewise was a message of repentance. It was focused on calling people to turn from sin to God. And John even said to the crowds coming in the wilderness to be baptized, he said, look, you brood of vipers, who warned you to come from the fleeing wrath? Who told you about this? He said, I'm telling you, produce fruits worthy of repentance. Let me tell you, there is a holy boldness missing in a lot of our pulpits and our pews, our churches and our platforms today. Because everybody's scared to say, thus saith the Lord. You are a sinner in need of a Savior, so turn or burn. Get right with God today, right? Come to the Father. He loves you. He wants to free you. But there are a lot of people that won't preach it anymore in the power of Elijah or the power of John. And we need men like this to stand up and say, come. Come to this good, good Father. Come just as you are, but don't stay just as you are. Let God do a work in your life. There's a holy boldness about Elijah and about John. And then we look at Zacharias, and he kind of wimps out. He says, well, uh, how will I know? Well, I'd be like, why don't you keep your mouth closed, Zacharias? When Elizabeth's belly gets big, you'll know, okay? But he didn't. He said, how can this be? And then he uses something very interesting. Guys, listen, this is going to help you in your life. He says, I'm an old man. But he wouldn't dare call her old. He said, and Elizabeth, well, she's kind of advanced in years. Guys, did you catch that? You may be old. She is not. She is advanced, okay? And so he said, I'm old. She's advanced. Meaning, look, we are well past childbearing age. And Gabriel said, hey, boy, be quiet. I am the messenger of God. I stand in God's presence. I am the mouthpiece of the Lord. And I'm telling you what God said. He said, in fact, you like to talk so much. Here's a miracle for you. I'm going to make a preacher of God quiet for nine months. Don't talk. And Zacharias couldn't talk. And he came out and they said, whoa, whoa. he's been in there a while. And he couldn't speak. He's had a vision. And you know the first words he would say after the birth of the child, he would confirm the angelic message. And he said, his name is John. What do you mean, Zacharias? Nobody in our family named John. Don't talk. Just don't talk. His name is John. You see... Zacharias was giving a human response to a supernatural announcement. A lot of times God wants to do something in your life and mine, and we'll have a human response to a supernatural call, but it doesn't work that way. Of course God could have answered this prayer in their prime when they had the health and energy and stamina to raise a child, but that wasn't God's way. God said, I've got a better way. In the fullness of time, I'm sending this forerunner, and Mary's going to come into her life because they were kin, you know. Maybe a cousin, maybe an aunt, probably by age. Elizabeth's a little older, of course. And, and so young Mary comes, and, and young John in the womb leaps. That's how we know life is there from the moment of conception. The baby leaps at the presence of Christ. Just imagine how that affected Zacharias. His wife's progressing in her pregnancy, and he just can't say a word. He's just pondering the things of God. I know it wasn't written yet, but maybe the words to that old hymn would have been appropriate. Zacharias, just trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What have we learned? God will make a way regardless of our age, and he'll make a way regardless of our understanding. God may be doing something in your life today that you don't understand. That's okay. Understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. I close with this short story from James DeLoach. He was a longtime associate pastor at Second Baptist Houston, 
Everybody lovingly called him Dr. D. Dr. D went home to be with the Lord about three years ago, but in a book he wrote about this. He said, I'm not a connoisseur of great art, but from time to time a painting or picture will really speak a clear, strong message to me. Some time ago I saw a picture of an old burned-out mountain shack, and all that remained was the chimney. The charred debris of what had been the family's sole possession was standing there, and in front of this destroyed home stood an old grandfather-looking man dressed in his underclothes and a small boy clutching a pair of patched overalls. It was evident the child was crying. I thought about this story, and I had written this down before uh, the tornadoes, but I thought about it as I was looking at those images. And Dr. D said that, that picture spoke to me, but it was what the artist pinned underneath the picture that really got my attention. He said the words that the artist put there should be our theology. It should be our philosophy of life. And it was as though the artist was saying what the old man may have been saying to the child he was holding on to. And the words on that picture of that burned out mountain shack were just these. Hush, child. God ain't dead. When you look around and you see such destruction and such death, it's easy to get swallowed up in darkness. But I would remind you, as the artist did in the painting, that we just need to hush. Children of God, God ain't dead. God is on his throne today. I know the world is running far and fast from the Lord. I know in the last 23 years of ministry, things have changed faster than I could have ever imagined. This culture has gone farther from God than I could have ever even dreamed if I had written a dissertation about it. But the reality is this. My God and your God, brother or sister, is still on heaven's throne. Our God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. God rules and God reigns. And mark my words, even those who are facing the worst days of their life, just north and west of here, will see that God will bring beauty from ashes and God will bring strength from tears but we as the people of God have got to stand up and stand out and say we are here for you we're not just going to pray for you we're going to give and we're going to go and we're going to cut trees with you and we're going to build buildings with you because that's what the people of God do because we can be the hands and feet of the living Lord Jesus to a hurting and a dying world is anybody with me today As Jeff and Alyssa come to join me, I know I've been a little long. If you're worried about it, get over it. Go somewhere else. They'll preach sermonettes, making Christianettes, smoking cigarettes, dancing like majorettes. Listen. <laughs> I had something to say. In Jesus' first coming, oh, no, no, even before, in John the Baptist coming, God was preparing this world for the Savior. And then in Jesus' first coming, his first advent, do you know everything the Bible says would happen when, where, and how it happened? And so we can take God at his word. But I'm, I'm reminding you today that Christmas doesn't end at the cradle and Christmas doesn't end at the cross. There is an empty tomb and there is a throne room where Jesus himself is mediating and in his second coming he's going to break out and come through the eastern sky and the trumpet of God will sound and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and I'm preaching because I want you to be ready when he comes. I want you to know that you know that you know 
that your sin has separated you from God, but Jesus died in your place, was buried and raised to show you that death, even death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Well, there is no sting in death anymore because he took it for us. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. All I'm trying to tell you is no matter what you're facing today, look at the screen, no matter what you're facing today, God will make a way. Stand with me. I need some prayer warriors today, guys. I, I need some people today that'll say, you know what? I'm going to start on my face before God praying for those hurting around us. I mentioned three families. I mentioned the Walkers, the Garretts, the Calloways. They're hurting people. But this precious family of five, the oldest of three children, passed away. Other children laid up, broken backs, broken bodies. Mom, so broken and battered she doesn't even know. Dad, suffering. That's one of many stories. We're going to be a praying church for these hurting folks today. We're going to be a giving and going church. You have my word. We will not simply say, go, be warm, and be filled. We will love them in practical ways. Would you be willing to join me and pray to come to the altar? to deal with a holy God on his holy day in this holy place for a holy purpose. If you need to come to Jesus today, we would love for you to come. If you need to come make a decision, Miss Cindy and I, pastors and counselors, will be right over there. What are you waiting for? Give Jesus what he wants for his birthday. Give him your heart. Give him your life. Give him all of yourself. As I pray, the altar's open. Lord God, thank you. We come, we pray. We are a praying church. This is a house of prayer for all the nations. And if we can't pray for our neighbors, if we can't pray for those right around us in our adjoining states, who are we praying for? God, we pray for those hurting. We pray for those facing devastation and loss. May the light and love of Christ shine brightly through us and other Christians in these days. May we come and beg you to bring hope and healing into these homes and into these shattered lives. May we come, God, trusting Christ, maybe coming back to him, uniting with the fellowship, doing what you're calling us to do, regardless of our age, regardless of our understanding. You are not dead, nor do you sleep. You are on the throne, and we trust you with all the prayers we bring today, and you whisper back, fear not. Your prayer has been heard. Thank you for that, God. We know you'll make a way in Jesus' name. Amen.